This is a special episode of the Immunology Podcast, IUIS 2023, Day 2. Hey everyone, this is Dr. Jason Goldsmith and Dr. Brenda Roud. Welcome back to the Immunology Podcast, where we have conversations with immunologists. Today we're back with another special episode to discuss highlights from the IUIS 2023 Congress taking place in Cape Town, South Africa. If you're at the meeting, make sure to drop by the Immunology Podcast booth and exhibit hall to meet the team and win some prizes. Today we'll be discussing some of the most interesting research we've seen presented over the past 24 hours of the meeting. So if you were in another session or weren't able to attend the meeting, we've got you covered. We're going to kick things off in just a minute, but before we get to that... Performing large volume cell processing doesn't need to take a full day. Visit us at www.stemcell.com forward slash scale up and learn how you can save time and reduce your workload by using the EC250 EC-SEP magnet, where you can process cells from samples up to 225 mils in a single isolation. 225 mils. All right, Brenda. What'd you start off with today? Well, I attended the... Uh, so we started early, you know, rising early with... Uh, Oslem Turiji's uh, presentation. She is, of course, co-founder and um, CMO of BioNTech, the company famous for its uh, COVID vaccines, but that is uh, one of the major players in mRNA vaccination in the world. So she uh, talked about a little bit, going back to the original um, mission of BioNTech, which is to make in mRNA vaccines for cancer. So she went a little bit about, you know, Besides COVID, how did uh, BioNTech look into generating their lipoparticles with mRNA, uh, and how what are the kind of modifications and what are the thoughts that came behind the design of their very now very famous mRNA uh, vaccine types? And she she showed that you know how you design this uh, uh, mRNA is the kind of modification that you need to do. Um, I also thought. Um, she, she uh, showed how uh, some of the results that BioNTech has in other studies in which they do vaccination against um, uh, new antigens uh, from tumors. Uh, I thought it was really good to talk about intra, um, so vaccination with naked mRNA, intranodal with intranodal injection. So if you directly inject it into kind of draining lymph nodes, you actually can get a super interesting response. So they even got all the way to human studies uh, in which they show that you can elicit uh, um, antigen-specific responses against new antigens by doing this intranodal uh, injection of naked mRNA, of this modified, the way they do it. Uh, She also mentioned, also I think it's great, this Clodin-6, uh, story from BioNTech, uh, they combine a CAR T cell recognizing Claudin-6, which is uh, one of those tumor-associated antigens. Um, some amazing results uh, they, they, because they, they, they do the CAR and then they have vaccinations to express Claudin-6 and this keeps apparently this really keeps the CAR T cells in good shape and uh, there's some of the results, the, the waterfall plots for uh, tumor uh, improvement are amazing. So I really, really like that story. And they also mentioned, what I didn't know about this, that you can also, in mouse models, you can induce tolerance using their non-immunogenic mRNA versions, and they can actually show their model of EAE. They can induce T-Rex and ameliorate uh, disease. Pretty cool. Looks like they're up to more. All right. Well, I started out with, unsurprisingly, microbiome and mucosal immunity, the first of two sessions, because it is that important. You need two whole sessions at the conference about it. Um, That being said, 
Of this, I want to just highlight one of the really interesting talks because there's several and we have a lot to cover. But one of them was from John Frick, and he was looking at uh, lung sepsis and what happens with monocyte function. And in kids, even people who get septic, and this is also true in adults, but he studies children, six months after an ICU stay for sepsis, they're still having problems. And so they have declines in quality of life. And one of the things they were able to find is that monocyte function still altered six months after the sepsis event. They're better. And they also saw that HLA DR, so a very specific DR, you know, that HLA DR, that very specific uh, gene is downregulated still six months later. So they're trying to figure out what's going on. They haven't gotten there yet, but they're trying to really hunt down the sequela of um, sepsis and what's going on there. So that was one really cool thing. And then there was one other talk I was going to cover really quick, which is that Marion Drehim, uh, their group had identified something called NBregs. That's right, Brenda, BREGs. Uh, uh, what is that? It's only in newborns, mm -hmm. and these are, they don't exist in adults. They're innate-like BREGs, and they produce IL-10 as a defining feature. So an IL-10-producing B cell that's not in adults, and it recognizes gut bacteria, and their function's really important on how they impact gut colonization during maternal transfer. So those are kind of the two papers I saw that were pretty neat, or abstracts, presentations that were pretty neat from, from here. There's, there's several more, but I'm trying to spare you a hour-long <laughs> talk on the microbiota. All right. And do you want to talk about the second se session as well? Oh, sure, I can. Now you're in a roll. I am. So, you know, I went to something on aging and immunity because I want to know what's going to happen to me. Good, good. Doing your research about yourself. I'm, I'm yeah. proud. Not great, not great, <laughs> I will say. So uh, Michelle Linterman talked about how um, aging causes T-cells to lose their way after vaccination, essentially. So that her title of the talk was Lost in Space. Um, <laughs> What she showed was that the intrinsic changes in the B cells do not drive the poor germinal centers that you see as you age. As you age, your germinal centers get crappier, and I'll talk about that in a second. But it's not by the B cells, and they do some transfer of young cells over. It's actually something else. And what it is is the uh, T follicular helper cells. So aged mice have smaller light zones and their T follicular cells are more dispersed in the germinal center and more in the dark zone. So they kind of don't stay in the light zone and the light zone's all squished. Oh. Um, interestingly, CXCR4 deficient mice have more T follicular cells in the light zone with an expanded stromal network, so it um, reverses the phenotype. But loss of CXCR5 T cells results in similar smaller germinal centers. So it seems like there's some chemokine signaling here that is driving it, but they haven't quite gotten to what's causing it yet. Although interesting, transfer of young T cells to older mice causes the germinal size and light zone amount to go up. So it's something intrinsic to older T cells being suckier that causes this. And so that was the first one. Then there was uh, Shai Shen Or who couldn't come in person. Um, they couldn't get out of Israel to visit. And he's looking at immune aging and what their real point of the work was, and it was hard to follow all of it because it was a recorded speech and so you couldn't quite zoom in because half the screen was their face and so you couldn't quite see all the figures. Um, that being said, there are a couple really cool points just to share. One is the immune aging is a conserved process, but the rate 
that occurs in different people's difference. You go down the same pathway, but how fast that bus without brakes skids is, is different depending on different people. Mm-hmm. Um, and that the age correlates with vaccine response. And for instance, as you get older, you have less IgG responses and other markers. And that um, the population differences as you age, that you can kind of measure baseline by either flow or epigenetic markers or uh, next-gen sequencing, those baseline responses persist with a response. So it's not like your immune system looks normal but responds differently as you age. It looks different as you age, and then as you cause a response in it, it has that same kind of warped characteristic it started with. I see. So, so that's what I got for you there. All right. So I went uh, to the uh, session on uh, TH17 cells, 25 years of amazingness, inflammation, pathogenicity. There's a whole story. So uh, the three uh, was presented by Pierre Moisek. Uh, Vijay Kukru, which uh, was, uh, I don't know, our guest in our show, and Stuart Tangye. So they gave three super cool lectures about uh, first starting with Pierre, with the history of IL-17 and TH17 uh, uh, cells, how they were discovered. He actually was one of his group, was one of the first ones to uh, show that in the case of uh, rheumatoid arthritis, this synovial fluid uh, could in, in, induce uh, the the production of, 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 of TH17. And he showed uh, that you could generate TH17 cells, IL-17 producing cells with IL-6 and TGF-beta. Uh, and he, he really was one of the early people working on this and how important uh, this is for uh, certain immune diseases such as, such as uh, rheumatoid arthritis. Um, and then... Um, uh, when uh, Vijay Kukru took over uh, for his talk, he also, uh, so actually, sorry, actually he was the first one to show, they were the first ones to show that you could differentiate TH17 cells in vitro using IL-6 and TGF-beta. And that um, these uh, also depend on, on IL-23 that can be produced in an autocrine manner. Uh, but then this is IL, so there's these different subtypes of TH17 cells, some of them are more pathogenic and, and some are more homeostatic. So this is really important to keep in mind that there's kind of two sides to TH17 cells and that it is IL-23, one of the major uh, determinants of how pathogenic a TH17 becomes. Um, and uh, I thought it was pretty cool. He shows, I mean, th- some of this is already kind of established data, but it's nice to see how they sh- they're kind of telling it in a whole story. Uh, for example, a really cool story is about how non, so in, in, in a model of uh, EAE, so uh, of uh, experimental immune encephalitis, autoimmune encephalitis in, in, in mice, so it's a model for uh, multiple sclerosis, in which you have pathogenic TH17 cells that are accumulating in the CNS and they cause a lot of the, of the disease. Um, and he shows that you can have these TH17 cells in the gut um, and they are not necessarily going to be pathogenic, even if they are t- uh, antigen-specific for MOG, for example. But if they interact with uh, B cells or dendritic cells that produce IL-23 in the gut in response to some other immunological insult, uh, that makes them pathogenics and that makes them migrate to the brain. Uh, he also, so this was already published data, but I always think that's a cool story that, you know, what happens in your gut gets all the way to your brain. And he also shows some unpublished data uh, looking at a, at a particular um, 
uh, I'm not sure what, it's not a transcription factor, but it's a, it's a, it's a protein called BAH2, which acts, uh, modifies chromatin and modifies DNA structure. And also he shows that uh, whereas this kind of homeostatic stems-like uh, TH17 cells, they express TCF1, uh, they, their uh, identity really depends on the expression of BAH2. And if you knock out BAH2, you actually end up having much more pathogenic TH17s. Uh, so really, I really like the dichotomy. I think it's important to keep that in mind, especially because often I think of IL-17s. I don't. I always think of them as you know bad, bad, but not necessarily. And closing the session was uh, Stuart Tanya from uh, the uh, Garvin Institute in Australia, and he uh, is a clinician, and he was showing a lot of really cool data about different uh, in inborn errors of immunity that are related in a way or another to TH17. Uh, uh, pa pathways uh, and that often end up in a chronic um, 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 candida candidasis and that is kind of a way if you see you identify people that have this chronic infection with, with candida and then he showed a lot of different pathways and other things like STAT3 uh, in uh, 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 loss of function or IL-23 receptor knockout or loss or IL-21, uh, Rogamat C. So all these genes and how they inform our understanding of TH17 cells in humans. And uh, yeah, so they are, although they're relatively rare conditions on themselves, they on, on as a whole, as a, uh, um, as a kind of a, as a whole, as a disease related to this, they're actually not that uncommon. Uh, so it was really cool because this, I mean, these people are, unfortunately for them, they are kind of little experiments uh, that shows us, you know, illuminate our understanding of the whole pathway. What else? So you had a super TH17 party, huh? Yeah. You know, they're cool cells. They're cool cells. When they're not raking havoc, they're actually pretty cool. All right. Well, I had a talk about fibrosis and type 2 immunity. Ooh. So there were two talks in here. I'm actually going to focus on one of them because it's really cool and I got nerd out a little bit. This is from Bart Lombrach. The title of its provocative alone, which is Spontaneous Pro Protein Crystallization is a Driver of Immunity. So I'm going to tell you a story about asthma that they mm -hmm. shared. So asthma was known for a long time by two physicians or physician scientists, people way back, back when black and white photos only, that have called Charcot Leiden crystals. All right. Mm -hmm. These crystals were there. They were associated with disease. This was before they had um, eosin, to even know what an eosinophil was, but later they were known to be associated with eosinophilia, just something you see in tissues that has a lot of eosinophilia, these crystals. And that's what we knew. It was just a thing. And everyone focused on asthma and like narrowing airways and all this stuff. Well, this guy's like, well, what the heck are these crystals? So you can go and instead of getting it out of the lung, there's people with chronic sinusitis, with chronic with eosinophilic inflammation, and people will have crystals that you can just pull out of their sinuses, like you can just Yuck. see them and yuck them out. But you can just take that crystal and run it on an X-ray and get a two angstrom crystal structure because it's spontaneously crystallized in their nose. <laughs> so you can figure out what the crystal is. You don't have to do an experiment like to like grow stuff up. There's a crystal from their nose. Put it in crystallography. <laughs> Get the protein how sequence. How easy, how convenient. Your nose already crystallized it for you, folks. So here you go. It's galactin-10. Okay. And there's these sugars on there that seem really important for its crystallization. Like, well, huh. 
They also show these crystals pop out of the epithelium, like start sticking out. So it looks like it may crystallize in a cell and then poke out of the cell, like little sandpaper oh. razor blades oh. of doom. Mm, oh yeah, it gets sale. more cool. Mice don't have galactin 10. So they made a transgenic mouse, which they had fun with names, like one's the galaxy mouse. And these mice have worse asthma. So you give them mild asthma, they have a way worse reaction with more mucus plugging, which is one of the things that can kill you in asthma. Then they show that IL-13 and GAL-10 may synergize. It's driven by eosinophils. It reinforces these mucus plugs. So eosinophils like to be in mucus plugs. But then when this happens, these crystals with eosinophils, because they're induced by eosinophils with IL-13, crystallize to induce, and this crystals induce neutrophil recruitment and netosis, which then, guess what, generates more mucus plug, more inflammation, more eosinophils, more crystals, more neutrophils, more crystals. Oh, wow. Mm. A never-ending story there. It is. Shame so they reaction. developed a dissolving antibody. It oh. goes to tyrosine 69, binds there, and decrystallizes it. Cool. They also showed at the end that there's another protein that also behaves this way called YM1, but we didn't get into that as much. But there you go. Okay, Crystals popping out of your flesh from oh your eosinophilic reaction from the epithelium, or maybe it stabs in. It's hard to tell. Wrecking havoc, making asthma worse. Been there the whole time. We've known about them, but just now figure out what they are, what they do, and how to treat oh it. Oh, my God. Boom. Nice. Love, love the story. Okay. Okay. Just so going to wrap up. Uh, we also had went to the keynote uh, talk by Henry Mwandumba. Uh, I thought he was so inspiring. Uh, he had a, a really, you know, amazing introduction by, by Clive Gray, uh, you know, a former, uh, current former uh, president of, of uh, UIS. Um, and uh, he he's, uh, you know, national origin from Malawi. He did his training doctor. He went also... Uh, had many, many accolades, many prizes. He went training everywhere. And now he works in Malawi, uh, talking, uh, working on uh, HIV-positive patients and why they get have increased risk of inf uh, respiratory infections. And he did really cool uh, uh, work on alveolar macrophages and how alveolar macrophages get infected by the HIV and how this affects the permissiveness to other infections such as uh, tuberculosis and how this affects their, their way of, of managing other infections. I thought it was really, really important. Um, so I also really liked that session. Um, and last I went to the couple of talks at the, I was also a couple of talks at the, uh, um, symposium from the, uh, Latin American Association of Immunology, the Federation of Immunology. Uh, I think this was very nice. Uh, they were, um, advertising the upcoming uh, Congress in Buenos Aires, Argentina. So, you know, um, maybe, uh, if anybody is, uh, interested and, um, also a couple of talks on neuroimmunology, uh, at the at the end of the of the of the day, uh, really cool uh, uh, from uh, Hai uh, Chi uh, from from China, um, and he really had some really cool data on how uh, these connections between you know the adaptive immune system and and and, and how it can be modulated by the central nervous system. Uh, he showed that uh, particularly he did these experiments they, they they in which they denervated spleens. 
and they could uh, show that these these, ner- these nerves actually play a role in the development of germinal centers and plasma cell formation uh, that is depending on acetylcholine choline, uh, receptor uh, expression on T cells. Really, really cool. And then uh, I was I was also really like the story from Brian Kim from uh, ICANN uh, uh, School of Medicine, and he's all about itch and how uh, itch neurons exp- uh, can uh, express IL-4 receptors and can respond to IL-4 and how actually many of these chronic itch syndromes can be explained by uh, overly active IL-4 and uh, JAK1 inhibitors can actually help with some patients that have uh, some gain of function uh, stat one polymorphisms and, and it actually the way of helping these people is like jack one inhibitors it's not like prednisone or like regular itch this is a neurological itch that mm-hmm. is really special uticaria so, really cool awesome all right well that brings us to the end of our second iuis 2023 episode check back here tomorrow for another episode recapping day three of the meeting see you then